Hey, it's David Greenwald. Welcome to Pretty Little Grown Men. Hi, it's Dom Sinicola. Welcome. Um, how how do we sound, Dom? <laughs> I think we sound fantastic, although you have the uh, the headphones on. That's true. We need to figure out a better <laughs> way for us to both have headphones. But we uh, we bought new microphones to take this a little bit more seriously, and we're testing uh, with a two track recording. But uh, hopefully, it sounds good at home. We're excited about it. I feel like I'm t- talking in more dulcet tones. Right now we have to be uh, we have to be like NPR hosts and speak in the NPR voice. Yeah, the golden hour. <laughs> we hope your drive home is nice and safe, smooth, and uh, full of some grooves. I'm just gonna tell you, you sound phenomenal. <laughs> you, you My mom you, was right. You, you can't tell with your own ears, but I'm just letting you know you sound really good on headphones. Um, uh, this week we're not gonna talk about Pretty Little Liars because it is still on hiatus, but we wanted to talk about. Uh, some of the best albums and music of the year. Uh, even though it's it's the beginning of November, although um, now is pretty much when people start thinking about that stuff anyway, if you are someone who happens to write about such things. Yeah, I think people, you know, luckily I'm a, a newspaper critic, so I don't have to turn my list in early. Um, so mine's going to come out in the beginning of December. But yeah, I think a lot of people at magazines and websites and so on where there's group voting, you know, people are sending in their lists already. And certainly everything except a, a couple of major label albums has been sent out to press already. So, you know, yeah, it's a funny thing to be doing this couple months early but yeah this is this is the right time uh before we move on um we we promised ourselves we were going to be more professional and do plugs at the beginning of the hour so uh even though we're not being paid for those plugs but if we were we got to show these sponsors what we're made of (laughs) so uh dave and i we are both drinking uh hop valley citrus mistress um hop valley is out of eugene oregon not too far from here dave what do you think of this beer it's really nice. Uh, it's pretty smooth. It's pretty orangey. Um, yeah, I'm liking it. A little bit of hop kick at the, in mm-hmm. the back, but not too much. I should give a plug. The Oregonian, uh, where I work, did a big list of the best beers in Oregon. Of course, very subjective, and there was a lot of voting and arguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have some blurbs on there, and I got Freem Strong Blonde on there, I think, and a few other of my favorites. So if you're interested in uh, Oregon slash Portland beers. Uh, check that out. There's definitely some excellent options. Who who won? Who's the best beer in Oregon? I don't remember actually. I know that um, Deschutes Abyss was number two because I wrote the the blurb. Oh, cool. um, number one might have been the the Breakside IPA. Oh, of course. Yeah, Paste uh, Paste where I work uh, did a top fifty IPAs around the country, and I think Breaksides was number two or number three. Um, it is a fantastic IPA. I can definitely attest to that. I'm not sure I've actually had it. I guess it's a classic. Uh, yeah, the, I, I can say that the, the Breakside Brew Pub up in uh, up on Deacom is always fucking packed. It's hard to sit down there. Yeah, yeah, haven't gotten over there yet. Uh, well, if you would like to advertise on our podcast and replace our fake beer sponsorships, you can mm-hmm. let us know. Uh, and also, you can follow us on Twitter at PLGM Podcast. And if you enjoy what you're hearing today, you can rate us on iTunes, which is a very nice thing to do. Yeah, and if you don't enjoy it, I mean, you can also rate us, but, uh, you know, that's your prerogative. Yeah, you know, think really hard <laughs> about that decision. Uh, so, Dave, we didn't really talk about how we're going to go about doing this. I figured, you know, maybe we can list our top tens 
uh, starting at 10. Okay. Going backwards and maybe just like say a short thing or two about our top five. You'll say your top or your bottom five. I'll say my bottom five with me with a little color commentary and then we'll really go in depth on our top five. How's that sound? I'm down. Okay. So it's perfect. Cool. Uh, okay. Let's see. Number <laughs> 10. I have my top 20 here. So let me count out to the 10th spot. I remember. Sure. I, um, I have I have as number ten. I this is a funny thing. It's not actually an album, but uh, Jens Lekman, the uh, Swedish singer songwriter, um, put out a song every week this year. He said he was going to, and I think he's gotten pretty close to actually doing it. And some of them are just like funny messages of him putting to melody some news event or something he wanted to share about a friend of his. So they're like sort of not songs, um, but some of them are you know real full three or four minute pop songs. Many of them are, are phenomenal. Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting project and like way above the level of bands who say, we're going to do a song a month or we're going to do like Bishop Allen 10 years ago did like oh, an yeah. EP a month. And you could tell, you know, the strain sets in. <laughs> uh, but I think this Jens thing has had a really high level of quality, especially as a, you know, a weekly kind of not, not, uh, album, serious album project. Um, so, you know, he certainly took it as seriously as a lot of rappers who made like mixtapes every couple mm-hmm. months this year. Did, uh, did Bishop Allen ever finish up their whole 12 month project? I think they did. And they definitely put out albums after that. I mean, they, they've stuck around. I have not followed them. I remember reviewing a couple of those EPs for mm-hmm. Coke machine glow back in yeah. the day, but you know, by like may or so I was like, all right, I've probably heard enough of these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Jens would be my number 10 and you know, I, I love him. All his albums are always, you know, they're regularly top 10 records for me. Um, should, do you want to do bottom five first all at once or I'll just start? Oh yeah, we could, yeah, let's, we can do that. And I'll, I'll give a, a slightly shorter, uh, paragraphs on the rest of these. Uh, number nine, I have the sidekicks or I'm sorry, got that wrong. I have, uh, Leanne Le Havis. Uh, who is a, I think, a London singer. Her new album is called Blood, and it is so tuneful and just very, like, gentle and relaxing and has a lot of incredible melodies, a lot of soul and groove to it, but it's not really a dance record. It's not like a party record. Um, Just really laid-back, precise songwriting and just beautiful singing and guitar playing. And So, yeah, I've been listening to that one a lot. Um, Number eight uh toro y moi what for uh he has always been really interesting to me he always comes to his albums with new influences and new ideas this one is like a nice blend of 70s kind of laurel canyon folk and rock and then like stevie wonder motown mid 70s soul uh and he just crashes those two things together with like a very modern like reverb uh, indie rock sound, so I, that's a great record. Um, have, have you have you ever latched onto any of his other records? I like them the all. Way? I like them all a lot. I think this one is the best one. I think he still has a classic album in him. You know, I feel like this is not like twelve perfect songs, but I this one to me gets the closest to being like his really great mm. great record. Okay. Um, number. Seven, The Sidekicks, this one I came to pretty recently, uh, Runners in the Nerved World is the album, and it's just this great, like, sort of young rock band full of, uh, you know, just like, not not antagonism, but melancholy. It doesn't sound like The Cure, but it's like, you know, this kind of 
uh, really shimmery punk record, if that makes sense. It reminds me a lot of like the thrills or of, um, you know, bands who it just sounds very urgent and yearning um, without sacrificing any. Um, it's just somewhere between like a punk record and like a, I don't know, like a Rod Stewart kind of record, you mm. know, uh, it's, it's just very glistening and it just feels dewy and, and young and, you know, what's going to happen today? We're in this city. Oh my God. You know, it's just a very exciting, uh, energetic record. So I love that one. Cool. Um, number six. Wait, where, I have, do you know, do you know where they're from or like what their story I, is? I am not sure. Actually they're on that album's out on epitaph. Okay. And I'm not sure where they're from, but I think it's their first album. And it just has that real, that like excited energy that you get from a young band who got in the studio for the first time. And, you know, again, like not like a garage record or a punk record or whatever, but channeling the same kind of energy towards something a little bit more polished and produced, which I always am a sucker for. Mm. Uh, my next one is Tame Impala Currents, which mm. like I wrote an article about this because <laughs> I heard it in every fucking coffee shop in Portland, <laughs> like literally three or four different ones. Uh, and my wife, Hillary, heard it at like New Seasons the other day. So it is just everywhere. And when yeah. you hear something over and over, I think a switch gets flipped in your brain and you just like it more. And I didn't not like it before, but right. it's a super melodic record and just extremely pleasurable and so when you hear it over and over those melodies just you know lodge into your brain mm -hmm. uh so that's kind of like a psych synth record um very easy to like especially if you're into cool textures and like a little bit of psychedelic influence definitely less on this one than the last one i uh um was that your top your bottom five that was ten nine eight seven six yeah sweet okay uh it's funny because i i like tame impala and i have listened to that record and i like it but um i might need to have it hammered into my brain in order to really appreciate it to that extent okay uh here is so uh at number 10 i have jamie xx's in color um sure. I think that uh, he has been doing some really interesting stuff for a long time. Um, I was sort of a latecomer to the XX in general, because when I first heard them, I felt like its simplicity was uh, working against it in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm talking about their first album, uh, which he did some production for. Um, and then he really sort of made a name for himself with um, the... Uh, well, collaborative sort of remix album that he did with um, uh, Gil Scott Heron. Right. And that is a fantastic album. I haven't heard that yet. Uh -huh. we're, we're new here, right? Yeah. And uh, so Drake sampled uh, one of the songs for Take Care, the song Take Care. He sampled from that album. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those songs, I think, are great. Uh, so that just showed that he sort of had this just a, just a sort of a knack for production. Um, he, nothing he does is lavish. Nothing he does is overly complicated or complex. But I think that he can sort of take to any any uh, even maybe club or techno based music and just sort of uh, make it sort of just I don't know. Just I could listen to it forever. Uh, it's very simplistic, but he really knows how to get to the core of a sound and really just sort of ring like all, I think all interesting concepts, all melody, all color out of it. Um, the title of the album is very appropriate. Uh, so that's my number 10. Uh, my number nine is, is Boogie, 
uh, a mixtape that he did called The Reach. Oh, I still like to hear that one. Yeah, so he just signed to uh, Interscope, I think. Um, oh, good for him. He's a rapper from Long Beach. Uh, Long Beach has had two... Uh, phenomenal rappers, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Vince Staples, who's much higher on my list. Uh, he is also from Long Beach. Um, hit, Boogie, uh, I think, shares a lot in common with Vince Staples, and then they're both very intelligent rappers who don't... They aren't backpackers. They aren't like like a Taleb Kweli. Like, they don't they don't come at their rap in, a, in sort of an academic way. Um, they just really talk intelligently about what's going on in their lives, um, as many good rappers do. Uh, but um, I think that they, their voice is one that I think is important to listen to, uh, especially in uh, contemporary hip-hop, um, up against uh, you know bigger stars that seem a little bit removed from their origins or from being a normal person in general. Uh, you know, I like I like Hotline Bling as much as the next person, but there is nothing in that song that I can even remotely relate to. Sure. Um, well, and that's a funny, and I don't want to get into a long discussion of Drake because no. we could be here all night. But one of the funny things about Drake is his whole thing that he brings up in interviews and certainly in his lyrics is he wants to represent Toronto and the city where <clears> he's <throat> from and right. have that be a huge, like, to plant a flag, basically, in hip-hop for Toronto. Yeah. And yet... Hotline Bling is all about, you know, I left the city and it doesn't really tell you much about the city itself. You just get this imagery of this woman going out to clubs and so on, Mm -hmm. but it's not specific. It's not detailed. And so it's almost like on his, on his, uh, his mixtape he did this year. Um, if you're reading this, it's too late. It's like this very mythologized abstract version of Toronto, as opposed to, um, the Vince Staples world, of mm-hmm. Long Beach or I haven't listened to the boogie tape but I've heard his previous stuff and it's just like a much more you know detailed uh, storytelling mm-hmm. and it's uh, I think that what he truly shows that stands out for me is um, and this would almost be blasphemous to say for some rappers but he shows a vulnerability that is really appealing um, you know I, I actually just went and saw Straight Outta Compton which I enjoyed a lot Um and the one thing that stands out um, in that movie is sort of an unexpected vulnerability in these rappers because the persona that they portrayed, it wasn't disingenuous by any means, but it was um, masking a very human vulnerability. And I think that Boogie doesn't even attempt to do that. <clears throat> and he still sounds very confident uh, and, um, you know, dare I say masculine, but he's also extremely vulnerable. That was, you know, there were not a lot of hip-hop albums this year that I felt like, kind of like with the Toroi Ma album, where I love the sound, I love some of the songs, but I wouldn't say every single track is, like, this great track, this, like, great classic rock mm-hmm. album. Um, and with hip-hop this year, I didn't feel like there were a lot of albums where it was just like, okay, 12 great tracks, which is, you know, always kind of an issue. It's hard to put together a classic album, and not everyone does. Most people don't do it every year. Um, but I do think what was really exciting about hip hop this year was just the expressiveness and the uh, kinds of people who were rapping. I mean, someone like chance, the rapper who did not put out an album, but he was on the Donnie trumpet uh, mm-hmm. album yeah. surf. And every time he comes on, he is so joyful and exuberant and just like full of life. And it's like, you know, he, he can rap about serious things and everything, but it's so 
exciting to hear someone who is like willing to be that free in his rapping and is willing to just like express that kind of joyfulness and to be able to put that across yeah. through through hip hop instead mm-hmm. of like a big pop song or something. Mm-hmm. And you know, Drake obviously is expressing a very kind of certain uh kind of intimate pillow talk relationship vibe. Uh, Kendrick <laughs> Lamar, I mean, everything he was on this year from his own album to the Dr. Dre album, I mean, he gets on the microphone and it's just like electrifying. And he yeah. has so many personas and voices that he goes through. So it's just, uh, there were so many like exciting voices happening this year, I think. And people like Future and, and Young Thug as well, you know, people just really pushing the sound of hip hop. So it felt like there were a lot of different things going on and a lot of different options to choose from oh yeah uh actually a a good chunk of my list is hip-hop um heads up that's Uh, good a good chunk of my list is white people who play guitar (laughs) (laughs) um uh another thing about boogie too is uh it's a surprisingly uh sad mixtape it's it's definitely about um living in sort of uh, dangerous circumstances in a dangerous area having people close to you die people who like young young kids dying due to the mm-hmm. circumstances where they live. It's a really sad mixtape, um, which I don't think that you, you expect going into it. Um, a lot of soul samples, uh, you know, uh, um, it's, it's, it's really good. Anyway, that's number nine. Number eight is a, a local Portland artist, um, uh, Natasha Kamedo, who, oh, yeah. who just released, uh, her, her first full length album. Um, right. I think it's actually album three or four. Oh, she put out one in in twenty thirteen, and this is oh, the that a full length. Oh, I, okay. I think so. I think so. Oh, I would my have to my check. apologies. Um, well, this one uh, I've been listening to kind of nonstop. Um, it's called Inevitable, and uh, it I think some production was done by homeboy from tv on the radio david sitek she i i think because i actually well i i interviewed her so i will oh, okay i'll just correct please you. please <laughs> um, yeah no she produced the whole thing herself i think and then uh and did some engineering um with tv on the radio's engineer okay um so they i think mixed the album together mm-hmm. okay and and uh tunde Adabimpe is on is on the album I don't remember. You would know better. Yeah, than yeah, I. yeah he is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So he does. Well, she and, was going to put it out on, um, on, uh, Dave Sutek's label, and yeah. then that ended up not happening. Oh, uh, do um, you know why? You know, she didn't really want to get into it. Uh, what she was, it sounded like there was just a scheduling issue, and it had been taking a while for it to come out. So she put it out on her previous label, uh, dropping gems. Mm-hmm. But she was very, you know, positive and complimentary about him and getting to work with their people and so on. So I, I, it sounded like it was a scheduling issue more than anything. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's an, sort of like an electro R and B album. Uh, it's got some soul. Uh, she's a really, uh, great and expressive singer. Um, it's, I can't speak too much about this either. The thing about this album is I feel like, uh, I haven't really read much about her in general. Mm-hmm. Although I think that she served me at Mississippi Studios a few weeks ago. Yeah, you can't you can't <laughs> run, you can't go to a venue in Portland without finding someone who, especially Mississippi Studios. Yeah, a lot of folks from Typhoon work uh, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I run into people in a lot of cool bands when I go get ramen at Double Dragon. <laughs> you know, it really is. This is 
the thing when Portland becomes all you know thousand dollar a month, fifteen hundred dollar a month condos, and all these people have to move to Boise, it's going to be a real bummer. Yeah, it's going to really suck away not just the culture of bands in the city and artists, but also when you go to a bar or a coffee shop or a restaurant and someone is playing cool music on their iPod instead of some bullshit Pandora station. <laughs> guess what? When you kick out all the creative people, it's going to strip all the cultural life out of everything. Oh in the God, city. yeah. Anyway, that was my little gentrification rant. I appreciate it. I uh, what I was gonna say though is I think that the the there's sort of a very loose concept behind behind the album, which is about her sort of discovering her or coming to terms with her sexuality, mm-hmm. um, and coming out as gay. Uh, that is number eight. Number seven is I don't think I have to speak much about this because uh, this might be in your top five. I'm not sure. It's uh, uh. to pimp a butterfly. It's actually not in my top okay. 10. Uh, and I'll just say it's an album that I listened to. I went back and forth on it this year. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a huge artistic achievement, but I also don't want to listen to it every day. Yeah. And ultimately, I when understand. I make my best of lists, it's really what did I listen to the most this year? And I feel like I have to be honest about that instead of saying, I think this is the most important or progressive album, but yeah. I didn't actually play it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of my internal guideline for doing these things. So it, that album ends up at about number, number 12 for me, but I'm still, okay. you know, it could, things could change. We'll see. I'm, I, I need to give myself, I think another two or three real serious listens to it and see if it becomes more, I don't know, more sticky. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I did go back and forth on it too. Um, and I, I think it's the only pick in my top 10 where I'd say that I admire it more than I admire it slightly more than I like it. Right. Um, but it was when I first listened to it, I was blown away by it. And I think that there's something to that. Whereas later when I went back to it, um, you know, I, there's things I didn't, I, f- I found things I didn't like there's stuff I skipped. Like as much as I th- think it's cool that he talks to hologram Tupac at the end, it's, <laughs> it's nothing I really want to listen to over and over. Um, but there are definitely some songs in that on it that are just like, so fucking amazing. Um, I don't need to really go into any themes or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's deep, it's complex, uh, it's argumentative, um, it's contradictory, it's, uh, really super amazing, and I think it's a, it's a lot, it's, it's maybe the most impressive album this year, except for my number one, so stay yeah, tuned. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, there's only really, to me, there's one or two albums every year that feel like an okay computer type album, or, um, you know, a, a pink floyd album or something where it's like it feels really ambitious it feels like the person worked really hard on it had had a ton of ideas spent a lot of money making it you know like kanye west my beautiful dark twisted fantasy feels like that and i'm always looking for that album that feels like someone really trying to make the biggest possible album and i think the pimp a butterfly is that album this year for sure yeah for those of you who are unaware that's uh, kendrick lamar's album um that is my number seven, and excuse me, my number six is uh, um, it's a rap duo out of the uh, Bay Area by the name of Main Attractions, um, but that's attractions spelled A T T R A K I O N Z. Um, the they put out an album this year. It's sort of a mixtape album hybrid. Um, I think they're it's free, but they're releasing it commercially. Uh, and it is called uh, 
uh, Dark Grapes and 808s, part three. Um, part two is phenomenal. Part three is fully produced by uh, the production duo of Friendzone, who commercially are best known for a song on the ASAP Rocky, uh, not his most recent album, but the album before, called Fashion Killer. With uh, the video has uh, is known for having Rihanna in it because he mentions Rihanna in the song, and then apparently she liked it a lot, and so it agreed to be in the video. Naturally. Uh, anyway, the so Friendzone uh, do pretty much just all synth-based, like really complex synth uh, compositions. Um, and they have done some production for main attractions and um they're just their aesthetics are really lined up uh pretty pretty fucking well um main attractions are probably known for like uh sort of maybe not coining but sort of epitomizing the idea of cloud rap which is really lush lushly produced stoner hip-hop pretty uh-huh. much just like a lot of soft synths yeah not and, like club bangers right just stuff that you can like and the guys sound so fucking stoned who are rapping main attractions i mean the thing about this album is i don't think that the guys so the two guys in main attractions are uh, mandra man and squad uh which it sounds so nerdy when i say it out loud um they sound so much cooler when they say their own names uh but they uh their rapping isn't technically astounding or really sort of brilliant but the way that they rap fits the production perfectly and i think that the the main draw for the album is just how texturally soothing and um I don't know. It just it it feels like you're just putting your ears down on a really soft, wonderful, sweet smelling pillow. Um, but it's also music that you can like listen to when you're barbecuing. Like it's not all like droopy, sleepy music. It's it's just it just sounds so good. It's just it's like biting into cotton candy constantly. That's kind of how I felt about the Currency album Pilot Talk Three. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not cloud rap, but it's the same vibe where it feels very like cushy. It feels very like, oh, I'm sitting in this nice, comfy couch. You know, <laughs> it feels just like, I guess he draws on jazz. He draws on like kind of a more like bossa nova chords. You know, it just feels like something you would listen to in like this smoky bar kind of yeah. vibe. Mm-hmm. And he is also a big smoker and raps in a very loose kind of way. Mm-hmm. And that album, I really love Pilot Talk 1 and 2. Those are two of my favorite rap albums ever. And Pilot Talk 3 is like pretty close to a return to form. So that's one where I'm still listening to it. I'm still, if I, you know, in the final version of my list, which is going to come out in the newspaper in about a month, that definitely may end up in the top 10. Um, a funny thing about Cloud Rap and about notorious, uh, p- pretty much people who or rappers who uh, sort of marijuana is kind of like part of their identity. Uh, the funny thing about currency and main attractions, um, I'm trying to think of another, well, well, Snoop Dogg, I guess, a little bit. Snoop Dogg, but, Red Man. Yeah, but they're like main attractions especially and also currency, they're so incredibly prolific. They are like an argument against slackerism caused by stonerism uh-huh uh which i i always appreciate um that is uh and that is my number six so that is my bottom five. Oh, all right uh so do you want to trade 
albums now going yeah, back and forth. Yeah. Uh, my number five is Casey Musgraves pageant material. And it really speaks to how seriously great this year was that this album is not even higher. Um, Casey, if you are not familiar is a Nashville singer, songwriter, country music, um, doesn't get played on the radio. It's not alternative country, but she was originally signed to Lost Highway, which was Ryan Adams' label when he was getting started. And she ended up getting moved over to Mercury Nashville. But if it had come out on Lost Highway, we would be talking about it as alt country, I think, because it has that, it's not super glossy. Uh, it's not trying to be big pop rock you know, Nashville as pop rock, which is, you know, the sort of post Shania Twain, even Taylor Swift fearless kind of sound. It's not that it's more acoustic. It's more storytelling oriented, mm. uh, you know, without being super twangy and rootsy and feeling incredibly authentic. But uh, Willie Nelson is on the record. Um, yeah. But I think she's just an incredibly clever and funny and touching lyricist. And I don't think she gets enough credit for being a phenomenal singer. Um, there's a song on there called late to the party, which is this wonderful love song and just the harmonies that she hits and the, it, the clarity of her voice. It's really special. It makes, you know, the hairs on my arm stand up. <laughs> uh, and that didn't really get discussed, I think in the, in the reviews of that record. So that's really, that is a, a phenomenal record. Even if you think you're scared of country, it's just fucking <laughs> awesome songs. Um, before I say my number five, which I don't even know if I want to say that much about it because, uh, well, you'll find out in a second. But uh, that, that main attractions album I just realized is called 808s and Dark Grapes 3, not Dark Grapes and 808s 3. So uh, don't write me an angry email. 808s and mistakes, Tom. One, <laughs> one person who might have listened to this and called me out on it. Okay, my number five is... Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen's E-Mo-Shin. Boom. I'm glad you came around on it, because we, when we talked about mm-hmm. Carly Rae before, you were a little bit more of a doubter. Yeah, you know what? I was, when you were talking about Tame Impala, well, I was thinking about that, because I listened to that album. It was probably the only thing I listened to for maybe two or three weeks straight, uh, and I just completely fell in love with it. Um, I can't even say what about it, because I feel like the problems that I was bringing up when we first discussed it haven't exactly been rectified. Um, I still feel the same way about sort of her persona. The, but lyric, the lyrical yeah. ideas. Yeah. But I think that what I noticed uh, that I didn't notice on the first couple runs through are just so many interesting, awesome, perfect production touches that just like feel so right constantly. Um, I feel like... I feel like her, uh, some things that maybe she doesn't get enough credit for are her vocal perf- performances in general. I think that one of the, I think it was maybe Pitchfork's review that I really disagreed with highly because one of the things that they harped on um, is, uh, and I'm using this, the Pitchfork as an example because it was the review I re- that I read that I think I disagreed with most. And they, they, they described her vocal performance as, you know, I think like, uh, overproduced a little too sleepy like not not very it doesn't really stand out um didn't really have any sort of personality or color to it and i kind of disagree completely i mean oh yeah me too the, i i that you know i hated that review uh, <laughs> that, that's okay we we can disagree yeah. i mean that was i this was i don't get to write a lot of album reviews and i wrote mine kind of without 
linking or, or, or uh, talking about the Pitchfork review directly, I kind of wrote my review as like an answer to the critiques leveled in that review, which were like, we don't really learn anything about her on this album. She doesn't have this like social media presence. There's no story. It felt like the writer was saying, you know, there's no real sort of story I can attach to this. She's mm-hmm. kind of a blank slate. Um, because she's not out dating Harry Styles or having this prolific Instagram life. But I felt like if you actually dug in and you listen to the lyrics, I mean, a song like Boy Problems, you know, she says her own name in it. She's talking to herself. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a diary, you know? I mean, if you're paying attention, not to say the, you know, other writers did not give it the right amount of attention, but I think to me, you know, just listening to it, it certainly spoke to me Mm -hmm. uh, immediately. Oh, yeah. Um, I think another thing that, uh, and cheers to Carly's, uh, marketing team for just doing something that, you know, I don't know, just hit all my pleasure centers, but that the video for, I really like you with Tom Hanks, fucking awesome. I didn't actually watch that. I haven't seen any of the videos. It's so, it is just, it's like, it's just a, it's a gimmick that just pays off. It's just watching Tom Hanks, like who obviously memorized all the lyrics to this song. So he obviously listened to it a lot of times and that's awesome. Really? And it's, it's, it's Hanks. It's Hanks enjoying, enjoying his shit. Just enjoying that. He's being Hanks. He's just Hanksing it up around town. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. I mean, I guess that's why like it's, if you make a video with this sort of aging, uh, you know, Oscar darling actor, <laughs> it doesn't really connect you to like your personal brand of being appealing to tweens or whatever. Yeah. It's sort of like a very weird decision to make in the video. Yeah. Um, so I can sort of understand why that didn't become like this Adele hello video that blew up and got millions and millions of views the first mm-hmm. week because it's sort of like, it sounds like a charming, but very confusing choice to have made. Yeah. Um, and actually I think I like, there's the video for, uh, run away with me. Um, is, did you, did you see that? Have you seen any of her videos? I, I haven't seen any of them because I've just been a bad Carly Rae fan. So the thing, uh, the video for run away with me is, um, it's like, it's almost like she, she's being filmed on an iPhone by, her like dude who's running away with her i guess uh it's her boyfriend yeah her her real life her real life boyfriend does she have a real life boyfriend she does do you know do we know who it is it's just some dude oh good for her just having a dude (laughs) yeah just some no-name dude but uh so and it's uh he's filming her as they are running away through pretty standard locations around the world um tourist locations and maybe i'm totally wrong um but someone i saw on twitter and i'm not I'm, i can't claim credit for this but i don't know who said it because i don't remember um said it's sort of like a really interesting take on the male gaze and i was like i see that i totally see that um because it's just sort of she has agency through all of it she directs where he goes she directs what she see what he sees right. and he's based and she's basically the whole time just like i don't give a fuck what you care to do or what you're going to look at, but um, I'm going to go do all this stuff and you can run away with me and do this or you can just like stay behind. I'm going to go do it anyway. Right. Like in the end, I think they go to like this like karaoke bar in I don't know, Japan or something. And, and she's just having like the time of her life. And it seems like if he wasn't there, she would still be having the exact same fun time. Right. That's, (laughs) that's awesome. (laughs) 
All right, your your number four. My my number four is uh, Father John Misty. I love you, Honey Bear. And I asked on Twitter the other day what albums people had a hard time, what like acclaimed albums people had a hard time connecting with this year. And this was one that came up a lot, and it really surprised me because. So Father John Misty is Josh Tillman, who used to play drums in Fleet Foxes, and he put out an album before this, which I thought was just very dour and dark uh, as Father John Misty. And he did albums under his own name as well, which were, you know, very like he did like a Neil Young covers album uh, that he put out through the blog Aquarium Drunkard. You know, just this like super spare dark Will Oldham type folk music. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this was the first this new album. It's very buoyant it reminded me of like you know 1960s glenn campbell like this country politan sound with strings and this really big extravagant production and a melodramatic romances Mm -hmm. you know just this classic nashville country record and it's very funny and it's very you know sarcastic and wry and it's him singing about relationships but of course like his his uh, struggles with relationships and his inability to sort of deal with them in a straightforward way. And so there's this, that level of like irony and humor and edginess to it. And I think it's just an unbelievable album. It reminds me a lot of the national, but done as, you know, in this sort of country um, rootsier style Mm -hmm. and with a performance on that level, you know, his voice is just really, if you listen to this album on nice speakers, I mean, he just, it's just stunning. Uh, But people were very anti father john misty whether i think they were just responding to maybe the character of him and the having would, a hard time so yeah with the humor and That's the sarcasm yeah i i think and no one has said this but my i think that um people are struggling with the fact that it's this indie rock dude who essentially made this pretty middle of the road country record <laughs> and people maybe are not familiar with glenn campbell or george Strait or whatever you know would have been going on at that time, Patsy Klein, you know? Uh, and I think people are probably a little bit more off put by the music maybe than they are realizing. That's my little theory, but I don't know. I mean, I don't understand why the humor, uh, or the sort of edginess would turn people off. I, I thought it was all very amusing and, and clever in the same vein as, you know, the national and so on. But anyway, surprisingly controversial, beautiful country record. Well, do you think, and I, I haven't really listened to it. Uh, so I'm going off of probably the opinions of people who said that that was a difficult album for them to get into. Um, I would say that the persona is definitely off-putting and maybe I, I sort of, you know, I, I gather in Father John Misty, a lot of people find an easy target for sort of extremely vague hipster backlash. The term itself, hipster backlash is, um, a pretty close to meaningless term because, you know, like what does it mean to, to be against hipsters, you know, it kind of feels like hipsters are against hipsters all the time anyway. Um, but it feels like, you know, the, this persona that he was creating to him was funny and to you was funny. Uh, but to many people, it represented a type of person that they could not in any way identify with. And also a type of person that they, like abjectly hated yeah and hate on a regular basis i mean i think that the persona of uh, the father john misty persona is the kind of person that you 
go and meet at the the hereafter on a Saturday night, and they're just like the douchiest douche talking about the douchiest things, and you're like, I fucking hate you, um, but you're probably gonna like go home and have some like fun erotic experience with some sexy lady or something and fuck you for that man (laughs) well yeah i don't know i i I see what you're saying i don't really get the vibe of like i don't get the vibe that he's some nasty person or that he's some asshole you know it's just someone who has a sense of humor and is willing to be provocative and you know Mm -hmm. he did he did a song this year not on the album uh, that was all about um the media and the way we consume things and like he's someone who will poke fun at i mean something he did this year he like did this ironic uh taylor swift cover because the ryan adams taylor swift album came oh, out pretty little grown men fans have heard about us have heard us talk about this right at length. right yeah so so we got into this a little bit <laughs> before and that was just the situation where it was just him messing around doing this thing he found funny and like somehow that's this polarizing thing Whereas I just felt like it was really funny and it was clear that he was making a joke and just goofing. Well, you know, I think that this probably points to more uh, the, the the tenor of um, people who read online music criticism in the first place, which is, I think, a large majority of, of people sort of want their ideas of what makes good music validated and um, I think that what Father John Misty is does is he takes ideas of not only music but cultural lifestyle and just sort of uh, uses that as a persona without providing any sort of um, explicit commentary. He sort of just inhabits it and inhabits it well. And I think by... It's it's obvious that it's not real, but he sort of, but he just like he's messing I, I think around. He's, I think he's. I think the album is super real. I right. Think, I mean, in in all the interviews, there were a couple of really good ones. Uh, he's talked about how this was the record where the Father John Misty uh, band is the first band where he was able to say, "I don't have to conform to this like sad folky stereotype. I'm just mm. going to be who I am." Yeah. Which is this like hyper intelligent funny sarcastic hipster guy well maybe that's it maybe it's just that he uh he is just doing what he wants to do uh and i think maybe a lot of people don't feel like they can or don't have the balls to do that and they when they witness him doing it instead of saying like oh man i envy that guy it's like fuck that guy Right. Fuck that guy for doing these things that I should be doing anyway. Right. And you're kind of just rubbing it in my face. Yeah, I you know, I don't know. It's it's a funny thing. I am really still trying to figure out the the lack of um, cuz I just thought it was great, a great record from day one. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if people don't like it, that's fine. But I I do think there's a strain of being sort of turned off by like the the subliminal country influence and I think mm-hmm. probably people are like a little bit intimidated that he is like so clever and funny and like clearly is operating on a certain intellectual level that you don't yeah. get in say like you know the beach slang album which is like we're young <laughs> and we're drunk holy shit you know i mean that stuff's great too but it's like it's cool that someone had like poetic ideas and was trying to deconstruct his relationship and have metaphors and mm-hmm. you know no, i'm into I that shit why not yeah. yeah uh so that's number four 
All right. Uh, my number four is uh, the group Magical Clouds. Their album is called Are You Alone? Question mark. That was me raising the end of the word to intone a question. Are you alone? Are you alone? Um, and uh, it's the second album on Matador uh, by these two guys. Um, I blanking on their names so i apologize oh i thought it was just one dude well it's uh, it's one guy and sort of his i think it's his, his friend and now his bandmate who does all the production um so there's a singer and uh, a guy who does the production uh there the first album on matador came out two years ago um it's called impersonator and it was my favorite album that year i was and am still in love with that album um it's I think that the concept of the album in many ways is this idea of uh, being a performer of music and sort of this, when you're, when you're performing, no matter how genuine you are or what you're talking about, uh, no matter how sincere it is, you are still in some way impersonating an idea of, of, or impersonating an image you know you're you're on stage trying to um in in many ways be someone who you're not um and i think that he uh i want want to say his name is desmond but i don't think that's true um he uh he obviously struggles with this idea as an artist i've read a bunch of interviews um you know looked at his twitter where it's obvious that he's it makes him nervous to perform, um, not because he has stage fright, but because he feels like he's faking it in a lot of ways. Um, well, that's you know that's interesting because so many like second albums are like the road record, where suddenly you go from being this band that is you take your whole life or your whole high school life or whatever to prepare yeah. for your first album right and then you have to go tour yeah well so that's the that's the second album is because this year was a big year well the past two years have been a big year for him and the band because they opened for lord on a bunch of a bunch of dates um their their uh sort of persona just blew up and this this album i think is more about it's i think it's a very elemental album in the way that it wants to talk about physicality and loneliness being uh, just sort of the the uh, expectation of being a singular physical being. Um, wow. And I think that, uh, um, you know, the music itself is extremely minimal. Uh, the first album more so than this, this one. This one's uh, opens up a little bit more, um, but it's just this guy's voice, which is a very it's it's not it's not technically strong, but it's very it's like a, it's like a guy who almost seemed like he's never had a, a, any lessons, but he's just naturally just a really emotive good singer. Um, and so the music itself is 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 very spare, but this album sort of takes that idea to the extent that um, loneliness 
is something the body is inherently must inherently deal with on a regular basis and that all all relationships are um attempting to control your body enough to bridge that physical individuality and move past it there's a song called control where he's basically talking about um he basically i think what are the lyrics it's like he's he's like let let me dance for you because i'm gonna show you what control really means like i'm gonna show you how well i can control my body and in that way i will present to you a way to get past this loneliness that we probably both feel um i may be reading the lyrics wrong i don't know it's not like i've run this shit by him or anything right but to me that's what the lyrics spoke of his melodies are really i think they're really simple but they're really beautiful uh I, I, I love this artist a lot. And the two albums that he's released on these larger independent labels. He used to be an Arbutist. Uh, uh, Devin, Devin Walsh. His name is Devin Walsh. Um, and he used to date Grimes. They're good friends. Uh, they both came from Arbutus. They both came from, uh, where the, what is that, Montreal, I think. Um, and uh, so these past two albums, when he signed to Matador, he signed to Matador around the same time that she signed to 4AD. Uh, and, uh, these two albums are, I just think are fucking phenomenal. Um, and, uh, I had big hopes for this record. It didn't grip me as well as his first did at, at, at first upon first listen, but, um, it's another one of those albums that I've just been listening to constantly. And, uh, I love it. That's my number four. Boom. Uh, my number three is Carly Rae Jepsen. So <laughs> we can just go back to you for your number three i guess i will just say i think i read a a, a recent profile of her or a recent interview with her in rookie uh she talked to tavi Gevinson, and this was one of the better interviews because it's very long it's not just like a handful of quotes mm-hmm. it was just a straight q a and one of the things she talks about is running um her getting to play the songs for uh dev hines and um the other guy ariel um Yes, uh, who had worked on her with just the song, all that. But I think she did a listening session with both of them where they went through and were getting to hear some of these other songs. And it sounded like they're, uh, they vouched for some of the my favorite songs on the album mm-hmm. that Carly wanted to put on. But she was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be this other thing. She was working on the track listing up until the last minute. Um, but it sounded like one of the songs that they rooted for was Let's Get Lost, which is absolutely my favorite mm-hmm. on the album and just like this perfect like it reminds me of Beyonce's Love on Top in that it's almost like this mythologized version of some like perfect 80s like Prince song or or Whitney Houston song or something mm-hmm. and but yet it's better somehow it's like the even it's like it's trying to it's like evoking this this thing that never actually existed but here's what it should be here's what it should have been and I feel like Let's Get Lost is that kind of song where it's just like it's just a perfect melody. It's a, a perfect chorus. Like the whole thing, you're just listening to it. Like, oh wow, man, I can just. It just feels so good to listen <laughs> to it, which is like what you want with music, you know. I mean, so much of like 
the internet discussion of music, uh, which is my only discussion of music really, and at, outside of like the occasional conversation with with Hillary or with you or whatever, you know, it's so much about like all these other things besides like, did you like it? Did it make you feel good? How did it make you feel? You mm-hmm. know, and the Carly Rae album just makes me feel really, really good. And yeah. I listen to it all year. I agree. I yeah. Um. I'm with you on that. Uh, my number three is the band formerly known as Viet Cong. Um, yeah, they don't have a new name yet. They haven't decided on their new name. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, I think that that the controversy surrounding their name is overshadowing the music. Um I have no cultural nor ethnic uh nor racial nor anything ties to um to 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 the Viet Cong or a- any of any of that at all so it's hard for me to have a perspective on that besides that I feel like people want to talk more about their name or their former name than the music I understand that um Real quick refresher: This is a band who, uh, it's a lot. It's two of the guys who used to be in two or three of the guys I can't remember who used to be in Women. Phenomenal band. band. Phenomenal band. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, one of the guys uh passed away suddenly, and so they sort of you know, uh, regrouped as Viet Cong, and they claimed that the reason that they Picked the, picked the name Viet Cong was um, because it was just some. It sounded like some dumb stone story from the studio where they were recording a bunch of songs and some guy w- uh, was holding the guitar a certain way and another guy in the band was like, "Oh, you look like a Viet Cong soldier. Just got to put like a, a, a rice paddy hat on you." And you know it's insensitive and stupid, but it's one of those like things that you're just like, "Oh, it's just some dudes just talking." Um, well, it's just one of these things that if they had done this in. 1995 no one would care about it which is to say no white male writer at rolling stone or spin would care about it Mm -hmm. i you know it's interesting well it's not that interesting uh but i think that they dealt with this controversy this uh, let's let's put it this way they made a mistake yeah um and i thought they actually dealt with it pretty well by sort of listening taking the criticism and putting out a release that said okay we made a mistake and we're going to change our name. We're going to think really hard about it. Right. Um, and it's like, because we don't have any like artistic allegiance to this name. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, it's not like gang of four or something where right. it was like chosen to provoke. Right. Right. Like that's not what they are intending to do. Well, and th- I think that's kind of, and that to some extent worked against them because the initial criticism was that they were too flippant about the, about the, f- the name about Viet Cong and that they didn't understand the significance behind it or the emotions and the pain behind it, uh, the, the history. Um, and so they came out and they were just like, sorry, but yeah, this is just a name. We just came up with a name. And then people were like, that's the fucking problem. It's just a name to you. Right. You, you are not taking this seriously. Right. Um, I think that there's two things that are wrong with what they did. One is that they didn't just come out and say, yeah, sorry, we're really flippant about it uh, from the beginning. They just tried to ignore it. 
which only pisses people off more. And then uh, I think the second thing is that they this whole process of being called the band formerly known as Viet Cong, which is not their official name now. I mean, who knows what it is, but uh, they haven't decided yet, obviously. Um, is that t- it took a really long time. And I think that... And I think at this point, um, they they played in Portland, I think, two weeks ago, um, and there was protesters outside uh, wanting the venue to shut it down. Um the protesters i didn't really get the what the protesters were saying because they want the protesters were saying if you go to their the protests facebook page they have a facebook page their their prime demand is basically that Viet Cong issue a formal apology which they did and yet they were still protesting even though it seems like what they wanted happened had, i th- had been accomplished yeah yeah i mean you know i there was this great npr segment uh yesterday on, on Thursday the 12th where you had uh, the writer and professor Roxanne Gay talking to uh, Jonathan Chait uh, who writes for I think New York Magazine mm-hmm. and he's been this real crusader against what he calls this, the PC culture and this illiberalism and censorship mm-hmm. um, and the discussion between them was really illuminating because I felt like um, there's some validity to Chait's ideas, but he doesn't put them in any kind of context. He only sees the problem, and he doesn't see the root of it. He doesn't see the sort of context or the reasons, the things that led up to it. Whereas um, what Roxanne Gay was saying, it's more of like, well, let's examine why these young people at these colleges are so angry. Let's talk about the systemic issues that led to this, and maybe let's be more empathetic to the behavior in a protest that goes over the line uh, and instead of zeroing in and critiquing this sort of foolish behavior or, or not uh, or, or not thoughtful behavior by say a Yale student screaming obscenities in some meeting uh, instead of critiquing that lack of diplomacy as like this sort of uh, wave of PC thought policing you know, why don't we step back and look at the larger problem and prioritize the issues here? And so I very much side with what she was saying. Um, But yeah, I think we do run into these situations where the stakes feel really high and people feel really uh, personally wounded, you know, and Mm -hmm. so they want to go out and protest. And um, there isn't always the opportunity to just take a little bit of a step back and look at what's happening and be up to date on everything. And I think just like that level of being up to date is so important and it's such a difficult thing because if you are if you have certain ideas about how what what constitutes being liberal or being open-minded or or not being offensive yeah. right um you have your ideas but maybe not everyone has the same ideas and maybe not everyone is on twitter and tumblr or wherever and having these discussions mm-hmm. you know and reaching this like very fresh mindset together uh so it works both ways where this band had released a statement. They'd said, yeah, we screwed up. We're going to fix it. We're going to go by a different name. And it was on the venue's website, you know, formerly known as whatever. Yeah. And so there, yeah, there really is no need for that protest. And so it kind of feels like, well, these people were just really angry. And instead of just saying if, you know, it wasn't necessarily about doing the right thing, mm-hmm. it was just about being angry. And that's where I think this stuff can be, you know, can be, uh, not wrong, but just uh, disappointing. Right. You know, where people are not sort of 
being a little bit more diplomatic. Yeah, and I think the disappointment, um, I would like to see how uh, other critics' lists start to pan out because I do feel like this is a band a lot of people were really excited about at the beginning of the year, and um, I think that unfortunately this controversy has colored their reputation to the point where I think most people would like to just step back away from them, which is unfortunate, uh, like I said, because... I think it's a fantastic record. Um, it's very '80s ish. I'd say it's like some prime. I mean, they did a on, on, they had like a mixtape uh, last year that was sort of a compilation of a couple of different releases um, that I think had a Bauhaus cover on it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very dark post punk. It's like it's gothy. It's yeah, po- it's, yeah. I saw them live at Pickathon, and I had really enjoyed the record, but thought they were a little bit dull live Mm. just because the songs are so like cerebral and contained that i wanted them to just explode a little bit more live and i didn't feel like they did Um, but i do enjoy i do enjoy dlm a lot um yeah and uh and i can i can definitely see that i have unfortunately not seen them live i know a lot of people who have um I and I, you know what I'm not even like I'm not even in that in like that into like Bauhaus or the Cramps or stuff like that. I just um I just really like this record a lot. The guitar playing is just so interesting. Uh I think there's just a lot to dig into and the lyrics are really sort of abstract, but they they're really evocative. Um I I was lucky enough to interview um can't remember names ever the dude the the main dude from from Viet Cong and or formerly Viet Cong Mr. Formerly Mr. Formerly formerly himself uh and I started asking him about Blade Runner because there is one of the one of the songs just reminded me it just evoked a sort of dystopian like urban rundown urban cityscape much like like Blade Runner and he was pretty much just like yeah right on like that's like we love that kind of stuff, like that kind of like '80s dark sci-fi, um, and I, I I I can't even really tell you what the lyrics are about necessarily, but they're I feel like the the emotions that they convey are very clear. Yeah. Um, and that impresses me to the utmost. Uh, and not to talk about an album that I don't think is on either one of our lists, but. I, re- I deeply respect the new Grimes album, but I think the lyrics are just kind of terrible in a lot of ways. And um, I, I think more than ever now at this point in my life, I can truly, truly respect lyrics that I love and, and want to dig into. Mm-hmm. I think if, a ly- if lyrics make me want to look them up on fucking Genius or whatever, especially if the, if the artists themselves are commenting on their own lyrics yeah which is a cool new thing that exists yeah which is fucking interesting because uh most of the time i I don't care enough you know like the grimes album like i enjoy the grimes album despite however i feel about the lyrics um and and I, i don't hate all of her lyrics i'll say that but um i if if lyrics can make make me want to like look them up and really dive into them and really pick them apart, then I know that I'm sort of keen in this onto something special. Yeah, I always you know, I've always said that like I only care about lyrics if they're really bad or they're really good. Like if they 
I'm interested more in like just like a great line that fits into a melody that sticks in my head that mm-hmm. I want to that feels good to say or to to hear. Yeah. You know. Um, but it's really like unless a lyric is so bad or so silly that it sort of takes me out of the song. Yeah. Or it's so good where I'm like, oh, what is this person talking about? What's going right. on in the story? You know, there are so many songs that just have these kind of invisible, uh, mediocre lyrics or just lyrics that tell the same story that you've heard a million times before. And, mm-hmm. like, that's fine. I mean, I'm listening to a song. I'm not listening to spoken word poetry. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, no, I think uh, when something feels – it's exciting when something feels really thought out and – poetic and interesting and, mm-hmm. and so on um that well that brings me to my number two uh which is sufjan stevens carrie and lowell oh, okay. um i was not super excited about it initially it's a very spare album a very minimal album in terms of sufjan of course is known for these big huge arrangements and uh this this theatrical feeling that he did it on illinois uh, and to a lesser extent on Michigan, which was still a very elaborately arranged album, lots of strings and harmonies and mm-hmm. so on. And there is a little bit in Carrie and Lowell, the synthesizers and certain electronic elements that come in, but it is extremely minimal. It's like he cut everything down. He plays the simplest guitar parts he can, and it's all in service of these these just incredibly depressing songs about his dead mother and saying goodbye to his mother. And at first I thought, well, here's Sufjan just going, making this very minimal album, and it almost feels a little bit like a put-on. It feels like, a, you know, it almost feels like a formulaic exercise of, like, how sad can I possibly be? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I saw him play a show here in Portland, and, you know, there's nothing dishonest about it. Uh, it is. It was, the performance was so powerful, and he was struggling to get through it. And clearly, it was like a form of, of therapy or catharsis for him to be to have written these songs and be playing them in front of an audience and to get through it with us, uh, and to have to share that emotion with us without even knowing us. And seeing that performance really made me think very differently about the album, uh, or it just opened it up to me. And I've been listening to it pretty regularly ever since, and I just find it to be. Uh, incredibly moving and and calming as well because it is so some simple and and basic and you can just kind of put it on to go to sleep if you like or you can put it on to have like a very harrowing emotional experience do do you think that that's something that he does every single night that he performs i mean i didn't get the sense that our performance was any different than anyone else's um i think at the end of the set, he sort of does the first half of the set where he goes through the album, and then he was playing kind of his greatest hits and things that are maybe more upbeat. And, you know, that he did some good banter. There was a lot of banter in that section. He didn't really talk through the first section of it, mm-hmm. uh, which was very much like uh, when Rufus Wainwright was doing uh, his Songs for Lulu tour, which was his songs about his mother passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the whole first set very dark, very serious, and then he came back and did the more... Uh, energetic or or, or uh, exuberant songs yeah. and talked and was funny and so on and I and with Sufjan it was the same thing where you know he was telling us like this is hard for me to do and it's hard it's funny to sort of do these songs and then tell you some silly story about going and buying a sex toy or whatever it is and having trying to be funny and trying to 
have these other emotions when you're still carrying the weight of this thing. And so it felt very much like him processing, processing this thing in an incredibly, you know, honest and unvarnished way. And I, I'm sure he, he is going through that process in whatever natural way in every other show he's been doing. I mean, lately he's been playing Drake's Hotline Bling. Yeah, I was going to say. In the you second did, you, half. Didn't, you didn't get the Hotline Bling. We did not get Hotline Bling. And, you know, there was like some whole think piece about that where it was like, oh, it shows that, the, you know, the power of whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's like. That's how I felt reading can, that, too. I mean, you can describe it in two sentences. You can say, Sufjan wants to have fun again. Yeah. And so he's doing this song. And it's really nice and affirming that he is. Yeah. That's your whole thing piece. But, I saved you. I saved you nine hundred ninety-seven words. Oh man! But that writer wants to get paid. Everyone wants to have their hot take on Hotline Bling. Unfortunately, I mean, I wrote one. I wrote one on on the Oregonian about how it's like. About well, yours is toxic, the only one that toxic nice guyism. Yeah, yours. Yours. I I, I liked yours. Is yours is the only one that I read that actually like delved into it in a very suspicious way i think most most people are just sort of taking hotline bling is like just you know drake's number one banger i mean as a piece of music i love it and it's going to be in my top 10 songs of the year um, i love it too but it's... i i think it's cool i think it's okay to like to love something but also inspect it you know and like have qualms about the subject matter but still appreciate it as music because the, again like it's not poetry like it's not just the text it's mm-hmm. also the performance and the beat oh, yeah. and the whole thing you know yeah i think that drake is one of those artists who and i'll you know i'll never uh i'm not gonna put his mix his, his mixtape is not in my top two you know another spoiler alert but um i will always look forward to something that drake releases uh with pleasure and a slight hint of anticipation because I like what he does a lot, but I don't in any way feel the need to, I wouldn't say feel the need. I don't, I'm not interested in pulling it apart because I don't really want to see what's underneath. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think, you know, in a way he... Peaked. I'd rather you I'd rather you or someone else pull it apart for me. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, you know, I think he kind of... He peaked already, in a way. I felt like Nothing Was the Same was the first Drake album where I felt like his singing had caught up with his rapping, and he'd written some really good songs, and the songs fit together. Mm-hmm. And it was the first project of his where I was like, he is at the level everyone else has been saying he is. Yeah. But the new stuff is not on that level. You know, I mean, some of the songs have been great, but you know, he put these things out, um, the, the project with future. And then the album he did at the beginning of the year, he put them out as mixtapes because the whole thing, I mean, they're not mixtapes. He's, they're not like, it's not him rapping over other people's beats. You know, it's not him like giving something away on datpiff.com. Like, these are projects that he made that are being sold. Did you, you know? listen to that future one? I did, which which I liked a lot. But I, I guess the point I'm making is that he's calling them mixtapes in order to like lower expectations, to say, this is something I did quickly to have something out, to yeah. say something quickly, yeah. you know, as opposed to this is like the real art piece that I've been laboring over. Mm-hmm. I kind of, yeah, okay. And they yeah. feel like that. They don't feel like 
nothing was the same. They're not on that level. So it's like, right. it's fine. I actually, you know, it's cool to me that he would put it out as a mixtape and be like, this is not this huge thing you need to take as this big serious project. Yeah. Here's a, it's just a bunch of songs I, w- I was working on, you know, enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is cool. It sort of sets a funny precedent. If like a mixtape can be sold and it's not really a mixtape, it's just an album. You're saying like, this is just not a seri- as serious an album. Well, I mean, that's kind of, I, you know, like the the Boogie album. That's a mixtape. I downloaded that for free off that piff. Right. Um, uh, and some of the stuff goes into like weird contractual issues and stuff too, which right. you know I don't know anything about. Right. I I think that you know I don't I don't really want to get into this, but I I do feel like the idea of what a mixtape means has drastically changed. Um, and has been changing since, you know, like since like Lil Wayne and everything that he was doing. I mean, he was releasing so much music. I really do hope that, and I don't think this is going to be the case. I think Lil Wayne is a, a huge disappointment um, in general because he was once consistent in his in how prolific he was. He was putting out consistently engaging great things. Um, and now he's just churning out like bottom feeding bullshit. Like, oh my God, I, I can't, I can't stand Lil Wayne anymore. He's, I think he's kind of brain damaged. I think unfortunately his addictions caught up with him. Um, he has taken a lot of drugs. Yeah. Well, he's just one of these guys that I never, I, you know, I just never got into his style. Uh, um, but let's go to your number. Oh yeah. My number two, your number two. uh, my number two is summertime. Oh six by Vince Staples. For sure. Um, another hip hop record, another hip hop record, uh, another long beach guy. Um, like I was saying with boogie, I think that, uh, Vince Staples is obviously, he's really young. I think that he's, he might've just turned 21. Um, he's a very like voraciously intelligent person. Uh, from what I can tell, in his lyrics uh really seems to despite obvious success um and he's and he's you know he's been connected to like the odd future folks and um he is signed to def jam uh so he's he's seen a lot of excess uh, success and probably excess at a young age and um uh but he still seems to have a very clear idea of how to stay true to himself despite um, quite sudden but earned success. Uh, his, I don't, I don't know if it's a hip hop album that I would recommend to everybody because I feel like a lot of it is very, um, I don't know. I want to say atonal, um, which doesn't feel right, but it does. It's not cloud rap. It's not cloud rap. That's true. Uh, there aren't any soul samples. It's very, uh, it feels, it feels very, I don't know, empirical, I guess you could say. Um, it feels like, it feels like you're looking at, at the frame or the skeleton of a building and you're watching a guy who's standing in the middle of all of this, like scaffolding all of this potential for an edifice and he's just like screaming his brains out trying to give definition to the skeleton trying to give it flesh because not only is his rapping style very yelpy um 
uh, you know, he's just like, North Side Long Beach, North Side Long Beach, just like yelling a sure. lot. Yeah. Uh, chanting. Yeah, it's very chanty. Um, he sort of has one mode in a lot of ways, um, but I just find him endlessly compelling. His songs are just so, not only are they catchy, but I, again, his lyrics are something that I go and look up because they're that fucking good. They are so good and so smart. He has so much shit to say. And on top of that, he is on a few, he's on a few guest verses for a bunch of other like producers uh, all over this year. And every guest verse he does, that song is just fucking great. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think that he did, he did a mixtape with Casey vegetables, a few, Maybe two years ago, that oh, was Casey Veggies. Casey Veggies, yeah, from Odd Future. Yeah, uh, that's also really good. I wish I could f- remember the name of it. Um, it's really good though, and that's when I first got got in, or really sort of started to understand what Vince Staples was about. And so I had high hopes for this one, and it fucking paid off hard. I I really like it a lot. I think it's a fantastic debut, and um, I think next to Chance the Rapper is like the most fascinating young hip-hop talent that's happening right now yeah nice uh well my number one uh drum roll uh is painted shut by the band hop along which is a they are a rock band from philadelphia they are on saddle creek records and i guess you would call this an emo album it's emo kind of in the way that uh weezer's pinkerton was Mm -hmm. it's not like some kind of like late 80s super punk DC hardcore type thing at all um, it's very approachable um, it took me a long time to get to the actual musicianship though because the singer um, is so her voice just goes from whisper to roar uh, in just this incredible like in a, in a in a second you know she goes from one extreme to the next and she's always on the edge it's like you're listening to it she almost sounds like um bry webb from the constantines Mm -hmm. you know who it sounds like he's just gonna cough up a lung or something you know (laughs) it's just like so on edge and she does that in this just incredibly compelling way and it's recorded just really sharply like the, the guitars and the vocals and everything are just popping right out of the speakers you know there's no reverb um there is no sort of it's it's not super compressed so the guitars don't sound like guitars anymore like it sounds like a fucking punk record <laughs> and um i don't even know what half the songs are about but it's just so powerful and uh compelling you know just from the very first moment of it it's just her voice comes in and the guitar comes in and you're just like oh my god it's just like you know, I, I was listening to it, and it's like, oh, this is what a real rock band sounds like. Because <laughs> you hear so many things that sound like it just came out of a box, or uh, it sounds predictable, or it sounds just prefabricated. And this, you listen to it, and it's like, no, this is this is like completely vital. It just like makes everything else sound like it's in black and white in comparison. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's, it's fucking sick. And I just found out today that they are coming back. They are touring with Dr. Dog. Uh, who, really? <laughs> yeah, of all bands. And that's kind of a funny pairing. Dr. Dog is like this, you know, pretty Dr. cool. Dr. Dog's been around forever. Yeah, they're like this like totally fine, middle of the road, you know, 
fuzzy indie band or whatever. Uh, but yeah, they're opening for Doctor Dog. Really, really and pissed that you said that about Doctor Dog. Sorry, Doctor Dog. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know people who like adore them, so yeah. I guess they're a band that I need to probably check in on again uh but yeah they are coming through uh in the winter and they'll be back in portland in february so i am super excited to see them play and dr dog and dr dog uh my number one album is by holly herndon oh cool the album called platform um it is a it is an electronic record i think that's a very base way to describe it it is very chaotic um, but there is a through line of melody that I think is sort of the spine of each song. Um, well, of most songs. Uh, one song is a an SLMR song, or inspired by SLMR songs. And do you know what that is? I don't. So uh, if you go on. I think I'm I'm pronouncing or I'm listing the acronym right. Uh, if you go on YouTube, I don't remember what it stands for, but if you look up SLMR, there are videos of um, very sort of low frequency sounds. Um, it could be someone like someone muttering or someone like tapping on a keyboard or like little drops in a rainstorm. Um, they're sort of like sounds that are on the bridge between consciousness and subconsciousness yeah background and noise they're supposed to be very soothing and so if i was like this then i was telling you that you should listen to the holly herndon album sounds so good on the new mics <laughs> that's like an slmr song yeah um it's it's just it's supposed to put you almost subconsciously in a really like safe warm place yeah and so she sort of messes with that idea a little bit she has one song that's like her it's like her almost like giving you a massage but she's like she's like and everyone loves you and you're a really warm presence in the room and you're doing a really great job at work and there's nothing to worry about oh man i um, should listen to this yeah it's a great more. i can't remember what the song's <laughs> called um but uh otherwise uh she's just uh she's a phenomenal producer um, I think that uh, in a year full of people who are do, who do their own production, who are sort of the whole, like, like sort of just the whole bag, you know, uh, she should she should be counted amongst them because she pr- does her own production. Uh, it's really really complicated. It's like I said, it's really chaotic. Um, but she also does her own visuals, uh, which she has music videos for, and then she goes on tour and has someone manipulating visuals while she's playing. It's really fucking awesome. It's one of my favorite shows of the year. But uh, it's hard It's hard to describe besides that it's just sort of like me- really messy, high-concept electronic music uh, that sometimes... I mean, it's not dubstep. It's not dance music. Yeah, I, I listen to It's not to dance it. music. I listen to just a little bit of it, and it's very just like you know kaleidoscopic mm-hmm. pieces of of melody and and noise put together in this really yeah. you know almost like an apex 20 way right and every once in a while like a very clear gorgeous melody sort of pops itself out um but in many ways it reminds me i i just it's you know i'm normally not into that kind of music a whole lot Although, one thing I'll say is, and there, there's no way this can make it on the list, and I think maybe after this we should talk about stuff that, you know, 
either didn't make it on the list or that we have well, listened we're, to we're running to the running to the long okay well then uh, then fine if we're not going <laughs> to do that then what yeah. i will say is yeah. that uh the new one tricks point never album is so fucking good but i have not listened to it enough to be able to put it on the list right i am excited to hear that guy he always isn't you know it's always like someone you're the cool thing the cool thing about music right now especially if you're someone who listens to a ton of albums every mm-hmm. year as we both do is like someone comes out and you don't vibe with you know excuse me you don't vibe with it you don't connect with it um but you know it's getting claimed or it seems like there are ideas mm-hmm. or potential well when the next thing comes out in a year you can just go on spotify or rdo or whatever and listen to it yeah and there's no sort of opportunity cost there right there's no like you don't didn't need to invest you can just check out the new thing mm-hmm. it's not like these are the five ten bands that i check out every year and I, I don't go beyond that yeah um so it really opens it up for like you know a band like deer hunter who i initially thought well they have some ideas but the these first couple things aren't very good yeah uh, and then they became one of my favorite bands that's another great album this year which i have not listened to enough oh yeah that would be just outside of my top 10 yeah it's it's funny it's 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 like they do this sort of there's like it feels like there's an obvious mistake in the track listing mm-hmm. because there's sort of i think around track seven or so there's like a song that feels like the album closer and then they do this very like revved up glammy rock and roll song and then there's like two more songs that go back to like feeling like this very like um funereal quiet album closer thing mm-hmm. and so it's like this false conclusion and it feels like they either needed to do a couple more up-tempo songs or just arrange it in a slightly different way, yeah. you know, because it just feels like, okay, they should have ended it 15 minutes earlier instead of, like, just sort of – it feels like they're kind of repeating the same feeling yeah. at the end. But I think it's their most accessible, pretty album, and I think people are – some people have responded to that as feeling that it's boring, mm-hmm. uh, which I totally understand. But um, to me, it's definitely one of their more – uh, enjoyable, straightforward albums. I oh, think it's yeah. just beautiful. Yeah, I like it more than a lot of other stuff of theirs. Um, the the one thing that I'll that I'll say to use to to describe the to describe the Holly Herndon album is, um, I mean, first imagine like Aphex Twin, One Note, Tricks Point, Never, that kind of idea, like music that sort of skirts the line between. Um, dissonance and uh, almost like just straight up like pop melody um, that really likes to flirt that line but what I think of uh, when I think of Holly Herndon and I think that her visuals often express this idea and really uh, I'd I'd say even like humorous ways is you know in like like ex ex machina and we were t- we were talking about ex machina and we we're saying like the way that he created a an artificial intelligence oscar isaac's character is to um take sort of a lot of information about like a lot of information about personalities and to sort of plug them into a um a synthetic brain right now, if you think about, uh, like, if I wanted to, if I wanted to make a, a digital clone of you, Dave, I would, um, if I had the capacity to do so, go online and collect the sum total of information that is available to me about you online. So that would be like, uh, you know, what not only what websites you visit, but if you track this stuff like uh, on Foursquare, what restaurants and what places you go to, um, what music you listen to. Uh, what movies you watch, 
um, what books you read, what articles you read, the way that you talk, uh, the food that you eat, the beer that you drink, all this stuff that is available to me online and to take it all and try to put it into a coherent narrative of who you are. That's nope, what no pressure. That's what this feels like. That's what this album feels like to me is that like it's Holly Herndon doing that to herself or yeah. attempting to do that to herself. Yeah. Um and I think it's phenomenal and uh it is my number 1 of 2015. That's awesome. Um well, I hope we've given you all listening at home a bunch of things to check out and certainly a lot of criticism to digest, <laughs> but yeah. Um, hey, real was... quick though, do you want to? Do you have any like songs, any, any singles you want to shout out? Um, I don't know if I do. There were, yeah. I mean, I did make a, um, you know, I made a Spotify playlist that I'll I'll, I'll share uh, on the Oregonian eventually. I think I my favorite songs of the year, like two or three of them, were definitely Carly Rae Jepsen songs. <laughs> yeah. Not gonna lie, uh, Classic Man by Jadena. Um, I thought was an awesome song this year and i got to see him perform it so that was really uh really cemented it in my brain mm-hmm. as a a total classic uh i mean hotline bling i thought was the yeah. best drake song of the year and just completely catchy and compelling um those honestly would be my my favorite songs of the year um you know outside of things that were on my favorite uh records um have you heard the new missy elliott song yeah it's really good it's, it's really, really good, good. You know, it's not like my favorite Missy song, but right. it's like a very high level Missy song, and she is so far beyond most other people. Oh my I god! Mean, it's like when Radiohead puts out something like she yeah. is on that level to me. Seriously, when I, I I just finally watched that video last night, and when I heard it, I was like, "Thank fucking god! Thank god!" Yeah, please, can we have like two more albums of this right now? Yeah. Can we have like another three videos of this? Oh my god! Yeah, she's fantastic. Super. Yeah, there's still, you know, it's like it's an ex- it's exciting because we live in like this surprise album world, and lots of people will probably drop some shit in the next, you know, forty five days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who knows what incredible thing? I mean, last year D'Angelo. Yeah. That's that would be my favorite album of this year if mm-hmm. we were counting it. It's cert- that's definitely the best thing that's come out in the last yeah. twelve months. Like I am still listening to it. It's just like. I'm glad that he finally put it out and didn't sit on it for three more years, just like messing around with it because it's perfect. It's like, it's a complete classic record. It is. It's amazing. Um, I, uh, I don't really have that many singles to, to point out. I think that that would then start going into albums that are in like my bottom 20 or whatever, the ones that we haven't mentioned. Um, I will say that, uh, as far as EPs go, I just wrote about this the other day. Uh, Casey Hill, who um, is on Good Music. Oh, the Kanye protege. Kanye protege. Uh, she's she's a, a young person from uh, from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, she has four songs that she put out on an EP, and they're all really really good. And um, I mean, it's just kind of just just like really well produced R and B ish soulish pop music. Um, and she's she's got a cool voice. Uh, it's called Blue B L O O. Blue, it's uh it's fucking good. It's that's uh, all four songs on there. I think are really fantastic. And the only other guy I want to mention is Dram D A D R A M. Uh, he did a song with Donny Trumpet. Um, and it's just the dollar sign. That's the name of the song. Is a dollar sign. Uh. 
and that is also a fucking great song. Um, you should you should find that. Just look up the dollar sign. Uh, the rest just, of just Google the dollar sign. The rest, yeah, just just Google the dollar sign, and then you know, just go through. Yeah, you'll find it somewhere <laughs> in the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> um, the rest of his album is I, not that great, but um, that song is is super awesome. And oh, another thing I want to mention uh, before we uh, close up shop is former Danity Kane member of uh, Making the Band fame dawn richard yes she released an album that i think a lot of people are totally ignoring and it is a phenomenal album it's in it's, it's really in my good. top 15 it's that album i thought i listened to that it's a few called times. blackheart blackheart yeah it has really unbelievable production and i don't think it coheres into a lot of really great songs but i listened to it the first time and i thought wow this is like kanye level oh production. yeah it, it is definitely very inspired and impressive and um yeah, if you're interested in really forward-thinking hip-hop and R&B production, that is a great record. Yeah, I keep going back to it. Um, I recommend it. Okay, I'm done. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for sticking with us on this Best of 2015 Music Podcast. Uh, hopefully this sounded better than previous podcasts, and we will continue to figure out how to make this more and more like an episode of This American Life uh, for your beautiful ears. We're going to make love to those ears. um but yeah you can you can tell us your favorite records of the year on at plgm podcast and we will see you soon with another uh another episode yeah and uh remember star us on itunes bitches (laughs) 